0: Hello and welcome to the Tech Diplomacy podcast brought to you from San Francisco by the Norwegian Consulate General and Open Austria. I'm Gri Rabe Henriksen, Consul General of Norway. Technology has always played a role in human life, yet over the past decade we have seen this role explode to a degree we can barely comprehend. As tech companies grow in scale, reach, and wealth, governments have begun focusing efforts on bringing these new players into the diplomatic discussion. In this podcast, we invite diplomats, researchers, civil society, and tech companies to talk about anything and everything at the intersection between new and emerging technologies, regulations, and its implications. Join us as we explore tech diplomacy. My name is Gry Rabe Henriksen, I am the Norwegian Consul General in San Francisco and with me in the studio today I have Kylie Mibust from Open Austria, the Austrian tech consulate here. Hi, happy to be here. And I also have Annie Hellman from the EU Commission and currently a EU fellow at UC Berkeley. She's originally from Finland and an expert on cybersecurity and artificial intelligence. Annie, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to
0: be here. And uh, Anni, you are currently doing research on the challenges of artificial intelligence and algorithms, as well as looking at the disinformation challenge from a mathematical perspective as an EU fellow at UC Berkeley. You also have long experience as a cybersecurity expert at the EU Commission, leading a unit on media convergence and social media. What is your motivation for digging deeper into these topics, Annie?
1: Well, they are both very important and very interesting. I mean, the interesting thing in life is that we all live double lives, the real world and the virtual world. And we do need to understand how the other world functions, the online world, and what rules govern it and why that governance is very very different. And the impact of our lives on the algorithms have and uh, artificial intelligence has is it is vast and we do need to understand more and that that is kind of inspiring me and as it's based on mathematics then i'm really keen to work on that field it is so fascinating thank you thank you very much for that and
0: kylie i know you have many questions for annie and um, why don't you take it from here thank you so much gree and so annie i know you have this very long successful career in
2: both government and academia but let's go back a little bit. So could you tell us a bit more about yourself as a person?
1: Okay, sure. Um, I think I'm a true European. I mean, I started my life in Denmark, lived my youth in Finland, and the last twenty years I've lived in Brussels, in, in, in Belgium. And in fact, I did also live here in Berkeley a very long time ago when my father was a visiting scholar in the Berkeley University in California. So in a way the circle is closing for me. And we are also a very true, truly European family with kids living all over Europe, in, in Finland, Netherlands, Austria. I have a very lovely Dutch-Finnish grandson, Matthew, whom I'm very much looking forward to seeing for the for first time for a long time during the Christmas break, as now Europeans are allowed to travel to, to, to the US. So I'm European. I'm also a mathematician and a qualified actuary, which means insurance mathematics. And uh, that's my profession. And I have to say I've always loved mathematics. Uh, And I guess it's a bit in the genes. My father was a mathematician and my daughter is a mathematician. Personally, I very much love hiking. And as I live on the North Berkeley Berkeley Hills, it's wonderful because there are so many hiking possibilities. So I hike, I do all colors. And that's great for the anti-stress, for the very exciting research work.
2: I'm sure, there are some great views from the Berkeley Fire Trails and Berkeley Hills up there. Absolutely. And so, you mentioned these different aspects of your background, you know, a history and in insurance, mathematics, this this European perspective. How
1: do you think that
2: all these different focuses influence your work?
1: Well, I, I have to say that I felt myself very selfishly that I'm a perfect person for the research what I'm doing because the main challenge in artificial intelligence and algorithms is these days that they are so complex that we cannot be sure that why the output is what it is from the input that is given to the algorithm or the the artificial intelligence and it is not an issue that like the European Parliament has mentioned a few times that they want transparency of the algorithms but that's not a solution because the system is so complex that It is difficult to even explain, not to speak that you would actually see it. But then my audit background kicks in, in a way that while we cannot understand and read the system, but we may be able to audit it, so we may be able to test how the inputs provide the outputs, taking into account that the basic audit rules, even they don't work here, because uh, from the same input for the same person, time may make a different output. So it's very interesting and challenging, but I've tasked myself, and also that's my task from the European Commission, to see whether we could make a blueprint for auditing algorithms and auditing artificial intelligence to ensure that it's more fair and it's more trustworthy than these days. And also insurance mathematics kicks in very well because that's all about understanding big data and deriving uh, behavior of people from that big data, and if you think about algorithms, what they normally use is that big data as input, so the kind of understanding the models that it creates, it's, uh, it's proven a very useful background for that.
2: Oh, I'm sure, and I'm just you know talking about big data and algorithms, I can't help to think about social media and all the data that's collected on these platforms, and I know that is something that you're working on in terms of disinformation. So could That's you expand upon that? Yeah, that, that research you're doing. Sure.
1: Yes, in the commission, uh, our unit is the unit social media and media convergence. It is. It has had disinformation, combating disinformation, as its focus for for the last four years, and that work has been very intense. It's obvious that we cannot kind of eradicate disinformation from the online world because that would. Be difficult, and that would be also a problem with the freedom of speech. But what we have done is we worked with the platforms um, and advertising industry, because advertising industry is, is a big part of, of the problem here, so that they would do more, they would be more incentivized to ensure that fake accounts and fake information uh, would not spread as much as it does in these days. We have initiated working with fact checkers in Europe so that they kind of this, this profession and, and concept of checking constantly the facts of what comes online would be more invigorated. We are uh, funding research and innovation on finding ways, especially artificial intelligence, um, means to combat disinformation. And that's also important because disinformation providers, those that uh, provide disinformation with harmful intent, it's almost always uh, AI that is being used there. And then the fourth element is media literacy because even if we do everything, if people themselves do not realize that they have to be suspicious or they have to realize that what they read may not be true, so they need to be aware to change their stance towards the online environment, so this is what we are working on currently, mm-hmm. and I will do a bit of research on that uh, when I'm here if I have the time. Also,
2: that's very exciting, and I'm just curious. You know, I- there's a big question of responsibility when it comes to the online space, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on whose responsibility is it to ensure that people aren't affected by disinformation in the way they are now. Is it the companies, or
1: is it the governments? Is it both? Do both need to be working together to tackle this? It is very complicated because, I mean, the platforms have reiterated their stance that they are providers of uh, a platform for others, so they don't have editorial responsibility. However, they've kind of taken a step back from that already in the sense that they do take some responsibility and they work quite hard to, for example, during COVID, there was a lot of work done so that the negative uh, the conspiracy theory kind of information about COVID would not be the first thing you see when you go to Google or go to Facebook. And I think they did succeed. However, it's quite impossible to, to kind of win that battle. Um, governments can do things. However, again, we have a problem of there's a, a huge sensitivity for people to um, not be censorized by the government or not feel that the government uh, is controlling what they can and cannot say and there are indeed some governments in the world and even in Europe where this is quite a acute and complex situation so there's no one way solution there's no one solution that can, can uh, find some some ways to create an, in, an online world which has integrity in it. In every time, there will be a combat between the freedom of speech and the control and the censorship. But we all have to collaborate and we all have to find ways. And, and slowly but surely, we are getting some some leeway. We are getting a bit there. And what I'm interested in especially is to see whether mathematically one could find an optimal point that if we only look at um, posts that have been spread to a vast amount of people, that may not be such a big amount of posts to check or verify by any objective institute that could that, that kind of formula help with this er- eradication or this kind of uh, going towards integrity of the social media. But that's. Uh, just an idea which is just starting. I've talked about it to only a few people yet.
2: Oh wow, well it is very cool to see that mathematical background coming into play in your research in this field. And I know something else you had mentioned earlier in your response was the difficulties with AI in this space as well. So could you, could you tell us a little bit more about your research in this field?
1: Um, well, if you think about social media, it is these days. It's purely AI, and uh, what we don't realize, and which is which, is one of these kind of media literacy issues that we need to realize much more. What we don't realize is that um, what we get from from uh, the social media, or let's say searches, or recommender systems, is not just objectively what we search for. And a good example, a very trivial example, which I have said a few times sometimes is that um, I find a good recipe on my iPad and I want to use it I go home and look at with the same search from my laptop I will not find that recipe or I did not find that recipe this is a true story because the, the history, the parameters in my laptop are different than, than in my iPad and that just demonstrates if you think that this thing happens on a bigger scale and the algorithms control our lives, maybe if we have slightly different views. What I see, what is delivered to me as kind of these are the most important issues may not be the same as yours. And I think this this is done by algorithms, by AI, very independently and I think it's very important that we first of all understand how it happens and then we need to reflect how to first of all make people aware of this and secondly how can we control it a bit to introduce at least some elements to, to break this kind of uh, bubbling or, or uh, putting people to silos?
2: Yeah, that is extremely important. Because I, I know, at least for myself, like I always thought, I know that Facebook is kind of altering what it shows me based off of what I like. But even to think that Google or anywhere you search is really curating each response purely to you, it is a little bit spooky, I will <laughs> admit. It is. So in your personal opinion, do you think that is one of the biggest challenges that we face regarding AI and the social media, or just AI in general? Or are there other big challenges that you see on the horizon
1: in regards to your research? Well, if we think about AI, we cannot forget that it's, it's very important. And it's a huge part of our lives. And it has brilliant uh, results also in almost every part of our, every sphere of our lives. So it's, it's a very good thing. Um, but the risks are there. The risks are that we don't realize what what powers it has. And one could say that, uh, that uh, AI may have very big powers, even regarding our democracies, because it may kind of choose a bit the differentiations, the different opinions that people get. I mean, there is. Talk about polarization and how AI and the algorithms may um, increase the polarization in in the world. There are some some researches on that, but that's an area which is which is very much researched now. So there are also some areas uh, some researchers who say that that is not so uh, dangerous, but it is there. And I think why I want to. Um, study these areas I want to understand how big an impact AI and algorithms have on everyday people. I mean for sure everybody has heard about the the selection problems that when uh, AI based systems for example select people for let's say to study or something else um, to get loans they will not use all the data every person has It means that in the wisdom that the algorithm has, you will be assessed like the average. And what if you are, let's say, a good kid from the bad area, you will not get your student loan. Or if you are a bad kid from the good area, you will get it even though you don't deserve it, which is less of a problem. So there's a threat that AI also works against equal, equal, equal treatment and it's not so much about the uh, programmer or his or her prejudice it's just simply that AI does the same as insurance mathematics does when it calculates premiums it has to look at some kind of an average and it would need to have everybody everybody's all information to be sure that it's fair for everybody Mm-hmm. And it's very complicated, but there's a lot of work going on in the, with the best minds in the best companies on this, but we are not there.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. And it is always very interesting to see that history of yours come back into your approach to these different problems. And so f- I guess for my final question, could you give me an example why mathematics is relevant for social media?
1: Yeah, I mean, the idea of this six degrees of separation is... And it's an old, old kind of concept, and it meant that everybody in the world can be linked to everybody else in the world by six degrees. And so I thought that well, let's see how, what would that mean in the online world? Because so the world has like we have like I think seven point seven billion uh, people in the world. Um, there are two point three or three point two billion Facebook users who use Facebook on a monthly basis at least and uh, an average Facebook user has um, 254 friends interestingly their friends tend to have 350 or more friends but that's another thing but an average person let's say 250 friends so I wanted to see that how uh, with six, um, six degrees of sharing how Bigger population would you would you uh, reach? And I think it was like by 36. If each of you, you and all of your friends, would share your post only with 36 people, not your 254 friends, but only 36 of them, um, the whole of Facebook population would be reached by these six degrees. And wow. if it would be, if you the sharing would be 44. That the global, the whole world would be reached, because, and that is the strength of of Facebook and online media, because it's so fast, so huge, and nothing else before has been able to reach so quickly such huge masses. So a very scandalous or a very populist.ic or fascinating post of something, something intriguing, may reach immense amounts of people in, in a very, very short time. And that is one of the good things and the big threats of things like Facebook. Wow.
2: Impressive. Incredibly. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> That's almost a little scary, too. The idea if mm-hmm. I share something with, you know, 30 friends and then they share it with their 30 friends and could potentially reach everyone on Facebook eventually if the
1: chain continued. Yeah, and I'm in only six change, I mean that is not yeah. much.
2: Yeah, oh my
1: gosh, six Yeah. Of yeah. Uh-huh. Only six people. You're six friends of friends of friends of friends of friends of friends. And it's the whole Facebook. So, uh, yeah.
2: Mm. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation
0: with us. I'm going to pass it back to Grie. No, thank you. Thank you, Anne, and thank you, Kylie, for the interesting questions. Uh, it's been really interesting to hear. The interlinkages between AI, the social media, the disinformation, uh, it's all interlinked and we tend to sort of discuss one topic at the time and it's good to have um, a real mathematician explain uh, this to us uh, and why it is interlinked. So so thank you both. Um, you've certainly given us some food for thought and I wish you all the best for your continuing research at UC Berkeley and uh, mm. and onwards. Thank you for listening to our tech diplomacy podcast please follow us on spotify or apple podcasts for more episodes